Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Mustafa Sinhaji, co-founder of Ladago, a meeting scheduling platform that streamlines day-to-day operations and B2B in-person events. It was founded in 2018, headquartered in Luxembourg, and now promises to improve every aspect of your booking process, which is a great promise. And I can't wait to see how you're doing this. Welcome to the show, Mustafa. Hello, Anna. Thanks for having me. Well, great to see you here. And um, I was trying to to research uh, about you, about Ladago, and um, it, there was an interesting podcast that I found that you did with Startup Grind. And it was called Moving from Geek to a Founder. So I thought it was uh, such a brilliant title. And I think this is something a lot of programmers, uh, the move that a lot of programmers would like to make. So uh, we'll get there. Uh, but first, uh, can we talk about your background? Maybe that was the geek part. Yes, exact. So um, my background, yes, I was... Um... Yeah, I had an IT background. I did a master in uh, IT sciences, and then I started to work mostly as a consultant for many retailers in France, most of the time. And I had two different phases, let's say. I started at the very beginning for like two to three years, because I was not good in at coding. I, I even hated that at the very beginning. So I was mostly working on system administration and networks. So I did that for three years and then I got bored, you know, with all these hardware things that you have to manage. And I just started to discover very slowly how to code by writing small scripts, you know, to, how to say, to automate my daily routines. Mm-hmm. And then I just realized, wow, I can finally do it. I found a way to, to crack the topic. And then I decided to find a way to, to go back to some, uh, coding trainings at that time for, for a few months. And then I came back to work again as a consultant. And then I started really like, a, let's say a career as a coder and then as a project manager for many years. And that's basically it. Okay. All right. That That's very interesting. And actually, uh, it's fascinating because just today I saw this huge thread where um, indie hackers, you know, building in public on Twitter, they were talking about just that, how a lot of programmers start their journeys with just playing with automating some basic stuff, maybe building something very small. And then uh, on top of it, thinking about how that could become a real product. So at what point did you decide, hey, you know, today I'll probably start building something bigger? Was there a pain point that you experienced or something that that you got from somewhere else? I would say there are two starting points. The first one is kind of personal because I've never felt at ease working for the same company, doing the same thing, you know. I have a I don't, I, I won't qualify it as a special character, but I like to have some intense things to do, um, different kind of topics to tackle every day. I, I kind of hate the routine, you know? 
So um, I think that I always thought at some point that I'm going to create my company and to create something that is meaningful for me, that will uh, just help me to feel alive, you know, every day with all this intensity, the things that you discover, that you learn on the, on the way. That was the first, let's say, um, starting point. And the second one, I had a friend of mine uh, who was a, a marketer. He, he's probably a team and he uh, asked me to develop something, uh, a small program, a small software for him to help him reaching his prospect. And I started from that and I said, okay, if, if he, he needs it, maybe some people, some other people might need it as well. So I just created a landing page and started to sell it like for a few hundred uh, euros a year. And, and when it worked, I, I didn't, I didn't pay a million out of it, but it was like a good start for me. So I just found out that it was the beginning of something. And from there, I, I won't tell the whole story because it's a long journey, but I started so many projects with so many people, so many co-founders. I won't say that dozens, but few of them, most of them, they failed, <laughs> but I learned a lot uh, through the journey. So that's the, be the beginning of it. All right. That's a bold move uh, when, when you're a programmer and you're a solo founder to try and uh, build something for marketers without a marketer in your team. So how did it go? Did you work together? Uh, where did you get? Uh, basically all, all your information because uh, what we talk about a lot on the podcast is you have to talk to your customers always. So was your friend kind of like your first customer, the first person that validated the idea for you or yeah. you had another channel of validation? No, he was my first free customer because he was a friend. He didn't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> But it was, it paid off in some ways because it helped me really get into that field of entrepreneurship. So I just developed it with him. Just, he was like telling, I need that, I need that. And I was just building with him for a few weeks, few months. And then he was using it on the day-to-day -day basis and requesting some new changes. So it was really like, yeah, building with the customer if we say it with the right words. Okay. All right. Makes sense. So how did... Ladago, and by the way, where, where did the name come from? How did you come up with it? it? This name has no meaning. The story behind it is the company and the, the product was named Rocket Mail because it started all from this technology of dynamic email and then it grew. But Rocket Mail was taken in the US by Yahoo. So we couldn't uh, sell it with this name. So we had to come with a new branding. And since uh, email is an old technology, it's really hard to find any name with email that is free now or not having any IP. So we just did a brainstorming and we came with this name, Lodago. Okay. So out, out of nowhere, basically. All right. Uh, so how did Lodago shape into what it is now? Wow. It's a long, long story because Lodago as it is now is like three years of work. And almost, no, yeah, three pivots. So we started um, the project, it had most, almost nothing to do with what we have now. It was a marketing platform, allowing marketers to design easily dynamic emails or this technology that was released back then by Google EMP. 
and, and it became late, later actionable message for Outlook. And we just built a drag and drop platform to, for marketers to send dynamic emails. But I think it was too early or we had a hard time finding early adopters. So we just had to think again and see what we should, what we can do or what we have to do to survive. So the pandemic came and it was like a boom in this virtual meetings. And we said, okay, we have a technology, the dynamic email, let's just stick to one use case and bring the calendar, dynamic calendar, real-time calendar in the email. And it was a basic application. You just had to synchronize your Outlook or Google calendar and you send your email, you don't need anything more. And boom, we had our first customer in Canada and we started to build the whole first part of Lodago, which is the virtual meetings. And then we start, we found out that we are competing with our big players like Challenge, like uh, Chili Piper. Yeah. And, uh, we acquired some customers, but yet it was not enough because we had to find a niche, a proper niche to, because we had no, we didn't raise much money. Uh, we had no powerful marketing or enough resources to do huge marketing to overcome our competitors. So the only uh, way was to find a proper niche that was not tackled by anyone. And with, uh, by just speaking with prospects, customer, uh, mostly in um, exhibitions, so in-person and physical events, we found out that in-person meeting was something that uh, was not tackled so far. So we just extended our solution to tackle as well these in-person meetings and uh, exhibition organizations. And we, I, we found our niche like that. Okay. So we are kind of uh, trying to build a one-stop solution, let's say, for appointment booking. And oh, right. uh, you, you made it sound almost way too easy. It was like, boom, and we found our customer. To be honest with you, it was really painful. It was three intense years of doubting, stop and start, going back and forth, struggling. It, it, it was hard. And even at every moment where, where we decided to pivot, pivoting is like um, morning almost, you know, like you have to bury something and to move on with something new. And after like one year of development, trying to get customers, it's hard to digest. So it takes time. And uh, yeah, there we are. Very interesting that you, you called it morning because uh, again, this is something that a lot of companies, a lot of founders struggle with when you have to pivot. And like you said, uh, Lodago now is is very different from what you intended it to be. So through this pivots, you kind of, yeah, you have to bury this initial idea. And it's it's very difficult to have this mindset that, you know, it didn't work, but we know what will. And it brings us further and closer to to the point where we got our product market fit. So how to navigate this gray area? Um, maybe how did you approach it personally? What was your mentality towards it? Because a lot of founders struggle with it. So how to let go and get an idea of this is something new that will not necessarily work on the initial idea, the initial perception of the product that you had, but 
it will bring us further and closer to success. Oh, there are many things now to speak about this topic. First is the team, I think. It's a teamwork at some point where you have good or even great co-founders that are able not only to work on the business level or technical level, but also at a human level. They understand this kind of um, pain points and they know how to handle it and how to support each other. So, um, and it's hard as well to be always at the same level of understanding or even emotional level, you know, sometimes some, some they digest faster than others or some they need more time. So it's good when you have a good team that can understand that and help you. That's the first point. The, the other point that I might say is about, um, it's probably harder for technical persons as I was. Because when you are a very technical person, you really take it personally when you build something. It's more than just a business. It's, it's your kind of baby or whatever you can think right. about. So it's hard for them to let go, I can imagine, because I was like that. I, I would say that I'm not anymore because I really worked during many years to be more like um, business oriented. So for, for me now, it's not that I don't care about the product. I care about building a good product that uh, will serve the customer as expected. And uh, it doesn't matter what kind of product he's, you know, as long as it's good and uh, it gives our customers value. But it's hard at the very beginning, it's really hard. And I think you have to uh, put aside ego. It's not about you. It's not about what you have done or uh, it's just the game and it's also the journey. It's also part of the journey because nobody can come and uh, just build a product and be good the first uh, place, you know, you have to iterate and it's part of the journey. It takes time, but I think it's a, it's a personal uh, or inner engineering, I would call it, you know, that you have to do. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can I totally see how, you know, as a programmer, you think, okay, I've built so much. This is all, you know, all these lines of code is me. And to take it not personally, I think it, it takes a lot of work on, you know, your own human emotional level. But let's talk about the team, right? I know that it, it was you first, but then um, you got your first co-founder and then your second co-founder and you did it through an incubator, if I'm not mistaken, right? And this is something completely new to this podcast. I think we've never had a founder who went 
through an incubator or accelerator program. So can we maybe talk about that, how you leveraged it and how for you as a programmer, it was uh, a good decision to, to go there in the first place? When I think about it, I don't, I don't think it was more than purpose. Like it was not a strategy for myself. Like I'm going to do that and follow this path. And I think that the whole journey of a founder is something like that. It's hard to predict or to, to know exactly, especially at early stage, what you are going to do. I think the, what I tried to achieve at that time is just to, to talk to a lot of people, you know, and to get insights, to get inputs. And I found that an incubator was the right place to meet my peers and people like me who wanted to build something. So I just came to that uh, incubator alone and somehow desperate, you know, like with just a project and no real vision, no no business mindset, not even how to, not with, um, even with the knowledge of how to tackle a market. And I just started to, to speak to people. Uh, some of them were kind of hard in the way they tried to advise me. Some of them, they were good. It depends. But at the very end, you just realize that you can, you find some really kind people that are willing to help. They know because they are ahead of you. They can detect and know what you are missing and they can just tell you. And I said it probably in every podcast that I had or every discussion. I've met someone, uh, Ahmed, who was a really nice guy and he was really a business mind, let's say, <laughs> and a real business guy. And he saw that I was too geeky and he just gave me some, uh, some advices, some uh, things to some guidelines. And he told me, okay, find someone who can be uh, your, uh, someone who compete you some, in some ways. And he introduced Gabriela to me, who is the second co-founder. And from there, the journey started from there, basically. Okay. So now you had a programmer and a marketing person, right? So you knew how to build a product. Well, but she was more, not really a marketing, but more about a financial person, you know, with a financial background that, know, that knows well the, how you, you can start a business or think about a business, how she was more customer oriented than I was at that time, you know, because when you are a geek person uh, or a geeky, let's say, you don't think really about the customer need. You, you just think that because you are, have provided a nice product with a lot of options, with a lot of things that can be done through the product, it's enough to get customers because you can just, okay, guys, look, this, my product does that and it does that and it does that. So it's enough for you. No, no, it's not enough because it's not what they are expecting. It's really that idea of solving a pain point. And when you are um, a coder, um, you are not taught in a way how to, um, to be empathic with the, the customer. You just talk to the machines every day, code. So you don't, you just don't realize you are kind of desynchronized from the business most of the time, at least in Europe. I don't know if you, in US it's different because it has to do with the culture, but in France for, for sure, we are kind of taught to be just good coders, good engineers, and to be efficient uh, in that field. Okay. So again, it's a change in the mindset. You're no longer 
working for a company that gives you a product uh, or or uh, a feature to build. Uh, it's not just, you know, here you go, I built it, so you have to use it. It's more of a let's find what you're struggling with and what uh, what your pain points are. I had a, a very interesting conversation um, with another founder that said, um, you have to learn what people are struggling with, with the products they're currently using. So ask them what they would do differently. What are the, uh, the pain points that they have with current products? And people start ranting and telling like how uh, disappointed or how unhappy they are with the products they used. And then, you know, you build on top of it. So how do you, how did you approach your customers? How did you start talking? What was your question? Is it how unhappy you are or, you know, something else? I think to complete about what you have said, it's exactly what happened for us at the, for our last pivot for Lodago for the in-person meetings. We were in Lisbon with uh, Ivan and uh, Gabriela, my other co-founder. And there, when we go to a, an exhibition, uh, I don't go much now because I, I'm trying to back them and they go and, and they speak to the prospects or to the, the customer that we have. And at some point, Ivan came and he told me, you know who I have just met? And I said, no. And he told me like a big name. I can't say it now because we are still, um, the process is ongoing with them and it's not signed yet. So I can't go like public with it, but. Sure. He said, I spoke with this company. I said, no way. Because it's a huge American company. I said, no way they're they going to speak with us. We are just so small company. He said, yes, this, they, I, I have spent like an hour just now speaking with the, the event manager because She's complaining about how she is organizing the events right now and she's having a hard time and she's like in a real pain. And it's almost what we are doing like with Lodago. Like we just need like few new features to cover what she wants to do. So maybe it's a good, uh, it's a good start for us again to, fo to, to follow that path. And we just did. We met her like almost 10 times with her team. And we started to speak, to understand her need, to, to know how to build. So it's, it was really the first time that we built a feature completely tailored to our customer, to our first big customer, you know. And from there, it just opened up a huge pipe of other big companies. It was like, wow, we couldn't believe it, you know. It was like, a, I couldn't believe it for a while. I was like... How is it possible? You just realize that the moment you do it, it's kind of a shift. You move from nobody cares to everybody wants to see it. And we That's were, yes, and we were even kind of surprised because some people, they just wanted to see the mockup. They even they booked an appointment. Okay. The platform is not ready, but can we see the mockup like on, on a, on a, a streamer or something like that? So. Basically, that's um, really uh, important advice uh, to anyone. Of course, now I went through this journey, so I can't go back in time. But really, the one of the key points is to build with a customer. Really, don't be afraid. Especially when you are a coder, you can be ashamed of selling or, or demo, doing a demo with a, 
a PDF or an, a Figma or mockup, but it works. If the customer is really in need of what you are going to develop, he will wait, he will build it with you, he will buy probably on a, on a, on a mockup. Uh, it, it can happen and it's a good sign basically for, for, the, for you if you find such a, such a way to do and if you stick to it. It's hard because most of the people, they want to build something because they are ashamed of all just yeah. something like that. But I think someone said that, uh, I say it's quite often, but I think it's the, the former founder of LinkedIn. He said, if you are not ashamed of your, your first MVP, it means like you, re you, you released or uh, too late or something like that. Right, right. I mean, look at Thread Zuckerberg is not ashamed. Half of the thing doesn't work. And it's still out there. But uh, yeah, that's a great story. I, I definitely believe that proactively reaching out to customers and listening to your customers is a great way to build a roadmap, at least to, to have a direction what people would want to buy or would want to <clears throat> pay for. But there is also a fine line between just going after basically everything that, that a customer wants you to build and then at some point saying, Okay, that would be great, but we haven't uh, put it on our roadmap for the next three years. Or for example, what you're asking for would kind of um, disrupt the process for all our smaller customers, for example. So how to deal with that? You're currently in the negotiations with your big customers. Congratulations, I really hope it goes your way with many more. Uh, but how do you navigate this so that uh, your core uh, product vision doesn't suffer? We have a saying in French, I, I don't know if there is a, a, a correct way to say it in English, but we say like choosing is giving up on something. When you choose something, yeah. at some point you have to give up on something else. So basically it's the same when you want to build like a SaaS or a, yeah, mainly a SaaS, you have to stick to a a common uh, product that you can scale with. Of course, if you fall into that trap of going too deep with a customer, you can just tailor something that can be only used by him and is not like a standardized something. So yeah, at some point you have to do some, uh, to, yeah, to stop and to say, okay, we, we won't do that or we were not able to do it. It's not on our roadmap. It's like, Quite recently, we made um, some uh, decision not to serve some customers under an, uh, a certain number of licenses. It was hard to decide that because we have some uh, customers coming kind of on, on a self-service. They want to buy directly, but we have a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of people. And to serve correctly our main or our ideal customer profile, we have to be focused and we have to say no to some other people for, for the time being. Maybe it will change in a uh, in, uh, close uh, future, let's say, or maybe not. But at some point you have to, to say no and okay. to move forward because it's also a trap that you can get in, especially when you start at early stage and you start to be kind of far. Uh, above the average, you have a lot of people trying to grab you because they see that, you know, I, I always um, like to say that 
people, they like doers. They are not, there are really few doers, you know, and builders. So they are kind of recognized among our society. So when we see someone building something, so, oh, this guy knows, you know, how to build. You know? <laughs> so let's stick with this guy. And so they come with a lot of ideas. They come with a lot of projects. They try to, and, and you have to be focused on what you are doing and not to get uh, disturbed. And customers also can be disturb disturbing because sometimes they, they like what you do and they trust you. So they want to kind of suck you in and get you for them, like, uh, which is kind of a, a big mistake that you can do. Okay. All right. And uh, <clears throat> one other question, because you started talking about uh, big customers, you know, maybe trying to grab the product, maybe try to, in a way, merge what they're doing with your product because, because you're smaller, right? Maybe there is a way to do that. So... <clears throat> How, how are you building for the future? What is your roadmap for the product? Did you start building with an exit in mind, um, having all your, all your data, your financials, your, your code, everything in place so that at some point when you decide, you know, maybe uh, because you, you said you want the thrill, right? And thrill kind of goes away when you scale, right? So at some point, maybe you want to, to give it up, build something else. Are you somehow preparing for it from the start? Or this is just, you know, this is too exciting now. So you're not touching that point yet. Yes, I think we're a bit far away from that point, you know, because we just start somehow scaling correctly. And there is a lot yet to learn. We are the very beginning of the journey, but... I know that this time will come, but I have so many, yeah, so many projects, but not about only startups, but you know, I'm uh, this kind of person that have like thousands of thoughts a day. Uh, and I, I have plenty of things to do after the startup, but, uh, what I need now is just to be successful at that first step, you know, to do it right. And, and not to think too far sometimes because you don't know what's going to happen. So somehow to have the right balance between what you see in the future and to leave what you have to leave in the present moment. All right. So uh, another question is, uh, again, about your personal story, right? You started as a coder, as a programmer, you, you were building uh, yeah. the heart of right. the business. Uh, but then over time, you obviously took over some other roles, you know, uh, you learned more about marketing, sales, the whole operation of, of the business. Uh, what was the most difficult part to learn and how did your role inside the business change over the years? I think the most difficult part was the really to, to turn into a business mindset, to really think about how to think about really customers, to be really customer-centric, not to think anymore about tech or about even the, I don't recall who said that, he said like, there is like this alligator syndrome or something like that. It's like you come to a river with a mission, like you have to drain out the, the river, but you find some alligators and you start to fight with these alligators. And then you, after a few weeks of fights, you just forget why you are there and you are just thrilled by all these fights that you are having every day. So to stick to why you are there and 
to really think about your customers. This is the hardest part that I had to really reshape my mindset. But it came, I think, with this, um, I believe in something that is kind of really crazy to say, but um, you only know through suffering. That's really okay. important to say. Yeah, it's really hard because you know that uh, we only remember something when it comes with a high emotional level, you know, and then it's kind right. of putting your brain forever and every cells of your body. So you have to go through a lot of pain and suffering before, because at the end or the first uh, stage you say, okay, I got it. I, I understand customer something. And then you lose the focus and then you get into troubles and then you run out of money. So you have to go back and find another solution and, and you go through this kind of pain many times until it's so hard and that you will never forget it anymore. Never, it's going to be like your North Star. But honestly, I don't think that such a profound change of behavior can come um, with the comfort of life. You have to go through a lot of, and I think the founder has to go through some loneliness, suffering, pain for quite a while to learn during many years before he comes to this final or ideal, let's say, version of him where he can really be efficient in what he's doing. So, and also personal, because sometimes, you know, you lose, you have to do a lot of sacrifice. You lose some friends, some, sometimes the family, you are misunderstood. So it's a long and uh, difficult journey, but it, it, Saying that, maybe some people say, why these guys don't want to suffer that? I think that you can't achieve greatness without going through this pain. I think it's kind of false. I don't know. This is how life is made. And if you want something great, but there is also one. It's not always like that. And uh, you are not always crying. <laughs> you have some, you know, because Hopefully. it's... Yeah, it's both the same. Uh, it's the two different faces from the same coin, let's say. So you have the high, yeah, the highest you suffer, I would say the highest the joy will be as well, you know, at the end when you achieve something, because uh, you learn so much, honestly, for me, this journey of uh, entrepreneurship is the best life school, let's say. Okay. I've never, you know, I've studied a lot of things, but I've never seen something that can shape you and make you better every day. Because you deal yeah. with so much things, you know, and you have to overcome so many things. But uh, to come back to our topic, uh, one important thing as well is uh, something that I had before as a, in my, um, how to say that, character, but I, I didn't trust it at the very beginning is to trust your gut's feeling. And what you feel about people, because when you build, but when you want to build a startup, you need a strong team. And especially the first, let's say 10 people, you need really strong people, very talented, and also at a human level, very good. Uh, and there is no real recipe about that. And there is nothing that can tell you, okay, A, B, C, D, even though we are trying sometimes to give some clue, I think it's all about feelings. And uh, I think that human, as a human, we are good for that, you know, because we have so many thousands or millions of years, you know, trying to work out these kind of things that it's somehow in our DNA uh, to, to, to understand 
easily people or to feel them without having to talk too much, you know. And I started now for a few months or a few years to really uh, trust that feeling. When I don't feel someone, I just don't uh, work with him at all or just keep him uh, away from, from uh, my business. But when I feel something good, I just uh, move on with him. And I think that's, that is important as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I've read this <clears throat> research that in general, like when, when you go for a new job, right? Of course, obviously the HR manager is going to ask questions and, and they're going to, to give you tests and, and all that stuff. But in general, they need about 40 seconds uh, to get this gut feeling of whether or not a person is a good fit for the company and for the team. So I think that's a good one. I, I'm not all for basing the entire strategy, uh, hiring strategy on that, but uh, I'm, I'm with you on like trusting your God because it usually works. All right. So is there maybe a hack that you could share? Because like I said at the beginning, in my research, in my, um, you know, life on social media, I see so many programmers, so many indie makers who are trying to, to move from that programmer mindset and into building a business into becoming a founder. What helped you? What maybe, was there a click? Was there a boom kind of uh, point where you understood, okay, now I got it. I have to talk to my customers. Or was it just, you know, gradually? I think it's always gradually, but if I have an advice to give is stop hanging out with other coders. They go to hang out because they speak the same language. They can share about what they have found. But if you stay... Uh, with the same people, you're not going to move uh, forward. So if you are a coder, you can still share with you if you have a community or friends, but just move from there. Go with the really people that are uh, business oriented, that are ahead as well from the stage that you are in, that can help you. Um, and also that there are few people, th this is really hard to say because uh, life is also made encounters, you know, the people that you meet, basically. And this is hard to predict or to decide, but you can meet some people that can change your life within an hour just by telling you the right thing that you just need to hear or to understand. So try to meet as much people as you can to speak also, because when you are a coder, sometimes you are afraid of, like you have a secret. You have found something that nobody knows about. So you just have to keep it, which is completely wrong, basically. Just speak loudly about what you are doing. Uh, and uh, someone is going to give you ad an advice or a feedback. Can be a customer, can be just someone that went through the same uh, journey or path or moment. And he can give you his point of view, of course, and can help you grow. But uh, that's, I think, one of the hacks that I can, or something that I, I will do differently uh, now that I know it. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, we were just talking with, with Jason Freed from 37 Signals about that. And I asked him, like, a lot of people are very much afraid of sharing their idea. And uh, that's exactly what he said. It's way worse if people don't know about your idea or don't have any opinion on that because it's it's not relevant. 
So go out there, try to find communities, founders to tell you about their experience and share what they think about, um, about what you're building, because no one's really dropping everything they're building just to go after your idea that may not even work at the end. So uh, another question that I always ask, um, what is so far the biggest win and the biggest value for you as a founder or for Ladago? The biggest win, I would say, if I have to prioritize, is the team that I have. I'm so proud of uh, working with such amazing people. I have to be honest. Um, maybe I'm not saying it so much or so many times, let's say. But um, I'm really proud to wake up every morning and to, to see my co-founders and uh, because not only we, we work together, but we really love each other. We take care of each other. We really care. And even though we don't know because we are, you know, a startup can disappear from almost a day to another, uh, even though we were at a, a really advanced stage from where we started, but uh, even though it will disappear, I will be really happy that I had this journey with them. So this is my biggest win, I would say. Uh, That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. But it's really important to really make it. This is an advice that I can share as well with people. Don't think only about business, but it's really a human journey. So try to find really people that you're really more than co-founders or just business people. My biggest failure, I don't know. I would say maybe the way that I managed uh, my personal life at some point with my wife and uh, things like that. You know, when you are an entrepreneur, you are in some ways kind of an extremist in what you are doing, you know, <laughs> and you are really um, misunderstood and you, it's hard to understand an entrepreneur. And for many years, I kind of slept what I was doing for me, you know, because I couldn't share it. We couldn't understand each other and, uh, uh it messed up my life at some point, uh, and uh, I don't know if I could have done it differently, but when you are married, you have children and you start a company, it's a really, really hard balance to keep because you just give 200% to your company and, uh, and there is no time left almost for, for the kids or for the family. And, uh, and it's hard because you have to make choices and you don't always do the right choices or it's hard. I don't know. I don't have any solution, but this is something that if I had to do it, I would probably think it differently. Okay. That's uh, also a very important topic to talk about because, um, like you said, it's a very difficult, time-consuming, everything-consuming kind of thing when, when you're building a company. So... Keeping that balance. I mean, it's difficult enough to have any sort of work-life balance when you're just working in a company, uh, but it, when it's yours, it's 10 times more difficult. So thank you. Thank you for talking about that. I think it's not being discussed enough. But Mustafa, it's a great conversation. I mean, I think this, this will be so... Uh, helpful to a lot of programmers, to a lot of technical founders to listen to because it's a, it's a real story of real struggles, real challenges, and eventually 
you know, coming to a point when you're happy, you have a great team. So thanks for sharing that. Thank you, Anna, for giving me this opportunity to share. I hope, yeah, next year uh, we'll do it again and you'll tell us everything about all your huge customers that came your way. With great <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much and take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saws.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.